Pastor Dave says don't be so quick to rush into a decision. Gather more of the facts first. You can always have better, make better decisions if you wait until you hear more input. More input is not going to make you you know, less able to make a good decision. Hearing another side of the story is really important. And I don't need to make a quick decision on hardly anything. It never hurts to say, okay, I'm gonna consider that, but let me also see what other information I can add in there. What else can I hear that might more greatly inform me as to what the best decision that I can make is on a particular thing. Wake up my soul, wake up early in the day, wake up my hand, and the instrument I play, wake up my voice, let the world hear me say, you are worshipped and exalted here today. We should want to make the very best decisions in any given situation that delivers the best results. And today on The Balanced Word, we'll discover that critical listening and thinking will help you in that endeavor. We open 2 Samuel chapter 16 today with Pastor Dave Rolfe as we continue our new series, Kingdom Building. You know, critical thinking skills are rare nowadays. When we talk about critical thinking, we're talking about the ability to take in a variety of data, weigh it off, consider the sources, project where things might head and be able to assess what's the best decision that I can make. It's what the Bible calls wisdom, taking information and turning it into effective decisions. Um, in the book of James, he talks about this and he talks about the meekness of wisdom. He says, if you're envying and self-seeking, that's not wisdom, but uh, it's just confusing. But the wisdom that's from above, he says, is first pure and it's peaceable and gentle. It's willing to yield. It's negotiable. It's full of mercy and good fruits without partiality, without hypocrisy. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So he says, if you're really thinking clearly and acting on clear thinking, this is what it ends up looking like. Again, wisdom, it's rare nowadays. Critical thinking, mostly people, when we, we use the word critical to mean that we're criticizing someone, but the word just means to weigh out and decide. And so it's really important. Your life becomes the product of your capacity to think critically, therefore to act wisely. Dwight Schrute has a little different definition of it and he simplifies it a little from the office. Dwight says, I think about what I might do and I ask myself, would an idiot do this? And if they would, then I don't do it. <laughs> but in life, our critical thinking skills are also combined with critical listening skills. Like how do we listen to what we hear and have it inform us about how we can live the best and most fruitful lives that we can have? Well, in our passage that we're looking at today in 2 Samuel 16, we see some of these lessons in very practical ways about how to listen and how to make decisions to bring about the best results. In other words, how to walk in wisdom. And so this was, and the more critical your life situation, the more important it is that you do good critical thinking skills. See, because when you are in a crisis, when you are in a place where this could go really bad or this could go really well, 
then you need to know how to listen and think and process. And that was certainly where Israel was. David has been at this point run out of the kingdom, at least temporarily. His son's trying to take over. Things are crazy. Everyone's picking sides, trying to figure out what's going to come. And how they handle themselves, both of them, will determine not only their future lives, but the future of the nation of Israel. So it's really important that they get it right. And we see a mixed bag in the way that they handle it. But we come to chapter 16. And the first thing we see, David had left Jerusalem with all his people, goes down into the Kidron Valley across the brook, up past, up onto the Mount of Olives, and he's heading out of town. He had like some caves where he used to live, so that's where they could go. And he probably had some supplies stowed there, and he knew people there and everything. So he's on the way, and he runs into this guy, Zeba. And it says he was a little past the top of the mountains. There was Zeba, the servant of Mephibosheth, who met him. Now, refreshing your memories, Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan, David's best friend. After all of Saul's family got killed off, Mephibosheth, who had been just a little, a little kid at the time when his dad was killed, they tried to rescue him and fell, and he was damaged so that now he was disabled. He couldn't walk anymore. So David had wanted to take care of him, and so he kind of hired Ziba to take care of him, and he told him, you're welcome at the castle anytime. You're like a member of my family, but now you own all of your grandpa Saul's land and possessions and everything. It's all yours. So David rescued him, made him a rich man. Ziba was the guy that was supposed to work for him. He was his caregiver. And, you know, you hear these stories about caregivers who rip off the people they're taking care of. That's Ziba, it seems like. But he meets David with a couple of saddled donkeys and on them 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisins, 100 summer fruits, and a skin of wine. So there's all this stuff and these donkeys. And the king said to Ziba, hey, uh, what's all this for? And Ziba said, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who are faint in the wilderness to drink. Now, their traditions meant that if you were going to give something to a powerful person, you didn't want to act like you were doing it for them. So you would give it to the ruler, but then you would say, this is for your people, this is for your servants, this is for the kids, and so on. So that's kind of what he's doing. He's buttering them up, really. And then the king said, and where is your master's son? He's like, you work for Mephibosheth, where is he? Uh, well, Ziba said to the king, indeed, he is staying in Jerusalem. For he said, today the house of Israel will restore the kingdom of my father to me. So he's like, Ziba's like, oh yeah, Mephibosheth? Well, he stayed in Jerusalem because he thinks he's going to take over now. Well, that's kind of, you know, disturbing news for David who had treated him like he was his own son and now he's turned on him. Now, most commentators at this point would say that Ziba was lying. And later David meets up with Mephibosheth and he says, oh, Ziba was lying about that. I wasn't trying to do that. But it, the Bible isn't super clear as to exactly whether or not this was actually true or not. Because later on when Mephibosheth goes, no, no, I didn't do that. David doesn't then, well, at this point, let me read on first. The king said to Ziba, here, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours. 
And Ziba said, I humbly bow before you that I may find favor in your sight, my lord, O king. David goes, fine. Ziba, you can have all Mephibosheth's stuff, which means all of the inheritance from Saul. So later on, when David runs into Mephibosheth, and he's like, I heard you were trying to become king. He's like, no way, I wasn't at all, man. That was a lie. David doesn't say, then I am taking everything from Ziba and I'm giving it to you. What David said at that point was, you know what, Mephibosheth and Ziba, you guys can divide up Saul's stuff. So I don't think he ever knew for sure, was this true or wasn't it? Um, but here's, here's the point. When somebody comes and kisses up to you, when someone is giving you something for free, you need to be a little skeptical about it because there can be an ulterior motive. Not always. Not every gift is an attempt at purchasing you, but often people will try to give you stuff in order to influence you. They will kiss up to you to then turn you against somebody else. And I see this all the time. There's this one, it's a Christian ministry actually, that every once in a while they send me a can of coffee. I'm like, I don't drink coffee. I actually take the can. I go, well, sometime if I'm really craving a cup of coffee, maybe I'll drink this. So I stick it in the little refrigerator in my office. I think I have like three of them in there now. Because they send them, and then a month later or so, then they send me a personal you know, letter. Hey, hope you enjoyed the coffee. Now, is there a way we could have a meeting? They're just trying to hustle me. And that's, salespeople typically do that. They're always giving stuff away. I'm always skeptical when someone wants to give me something, but they're selling something else. If you're selling something that's worth it, then convince me, and I'll buy it. But don't con me by going, oh, here, here's your... There, there's an agenda that was going on clearly with Ziba, and David really didn't see through it. As a result, he would end up having to kind of go back and go, I can't figure this out. But as we learn to listen, we need to listen to the message behind the message. Okay, it's nice. And you don't want to get all jaded where you just don't, you know, somebody gives you something, and you're like, get that out of my sight. I don't... But you just go, okay, thanks. Appreciate the donkeys, appreciate the food, but I wonder what you really want. The other side of this that's really important that he didn't do, how about when you hear a story that Mephibosheth is trying to become king, Ziba's telling you that, how about you go, that's interesting, maybe I'll talk to Mephibosheth about it at some point and figure out what the real story was. Now, we waited long enough that by the time he ended up talking to Mephibosheth about it, it was kind of over, and so he just had to kind of, okay, whatever. You guys work it out amongst yourselves. You can always have better, make better decisions if you wait until you hear more input. More input is not going to make you, you know, less able to make a good decision. Hearing another side of the story is really important, and David, unfortunately, neglected to not only see through this pitch, but to also go, well, I will have to talk to Mephibosheth about that. It would be that simple. I, you know, it's easy for me if I hear about something, I just want to make it right. I'm busy. I don't, don't, don't confuse me with the facts. I know what I need to know, and now I'm going to take care of it. I had a guy um, who used to work for me at Calvary, Jeff Roberts, who was one of the calmest, most patient people I ever knew. And I would come in, and I'd go, I heard such and such happen, and get rid of that person. And he'd go, okay, Dave, calm down. He goes, 
let me get all the information and then you can fire them if you want. But let me first find out what happened. That happened a couple times and then it rubbed off on me and I realized I don't need to make a quick decision on hardly anything. It never hurts to say, okay, I'm gonna consider that, but let me also see what other information I can add in there. What else can I hear that might more greatly inform me as to what the best decision that I can make is on a particular thing. It's why salesmen tell you this deal is good for today only. <laughs> because if you have a chance to think about it, you'll realize, well, it's really not exactly what you thought it was. Well, he kind of buys it right off the bat. So now as you read down next, um, David's heading again out of town and you see a guy named Shemai. Uh, it says he came to Bahurim, and there was a man from the family of the house of Saul whose name was Shemai. This guy's a nobody. We don't know who he was ever before. He never did anything to really establish himself, but for some reason he was a distant, he was from the tribe of, of Benjamin probably, a fan of Saul's, and now's his chance to really let go on David. It's completely stupid. David has an army of soldiers with him. This guy's throwing rocks at him and yelling insults. And, you know, it, it, it says that he just was cursing continually as he came. And he threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. So the stones weren't going to do any damage, but he's like just acting nuts. And Shemai said thus when he cursed, come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. He's, he's, he's choosing David off in a fight. He's like, come on. The Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul and, and into the hand of Absalom. And now you're caught in your own evil because you're a bloodthirsty man. Now in verse 9, Abishai, who was um, the brother of Joab, he was one of the generals. He was like David's personal bodyguard in a way. Abishai's like, let me cut his head off. And then we don't have to listen to this anymore. Abishai was always doing that. He had offered to kill Saul for him. He goes, let me just hit him. I'll hit him once. He won't even know what hit him. He's doing it again. And David's like, hey, you guys, um, look, why should, you, why should this dead dog, curse my lord, the king is what Abishai is saying. Let me go over and take off his head. The king said, you guys, you sons of Zeruah, let him curse. Who knows? Maybe God is telling him to say this stuff to me. I don't know. Why am I going to react to him? Why do I want to let him turn me into something that I don't want to be? And so um, David said, see how my son who came from my own body seeks my life there in verse 11. How much more now may this Benjamite let him alone and let him curse for so the Lord has ordered him or like whatever. God's given him the freedom to do it. I have more important things to worry about. My son is trying to take the kingdom from me. I'm not going to worry about this guy yelling and ranting and raving and everything that he is saying. And he said, who knows? Maybe the Lord will look on my affliction and he'll stick up for me. And the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day. He goes, maybe this will backfire on him. I'd rather let God judge him than for me to judge him. So the guy's over on a different hillside now and he's cursing and throwing stones and kicking up dust. And verse 14, the king and all the people who were with him became weary, so they refreshed themselves there. So what was the way to deal with this guy, Shemai? The easiest thing would have been to kill him. 
The easiest thing also would have been to argue with him, start a fight. I mean, you can beat this guy in an argument. But what we see from David here that's really wise, don't ever get in an argument with a crazy person. Don't, in fact, don't get in an argument with somebody who's angry. See, the way arguments work, when you start losing an argument, you get angry. You look at two people arguing, the one that's mad is the one who's, they may be right, but they've run out of arguments. And so they try to kick it in with extra passion. You cannot win in a fight with this. There would have been no discussion with Shemai that he would have gone, oh, never mind. Now, his story is interesting because later on, he ends up, when David's back on the throne, he comes and bows down and apologizes. And David's like, eh, I don't take your opinion seriously either way. It's OK. But then it's kind of, I don't know, I, I don't want to say comical. But when David's dying later on, he tells Solomon, there's a list of people that I want you to kill after I die. <laughs> and Shemai's on the list. <laughs> so I mean, I, I think there are some traditions that you know, really were awesome. But <laughs> I mean, don't you think at the end of your life, if you could just go put a couple hits out, this would be good. <laughs> but we're more civilized today. The point is, he didn't look at Shemai and think, what you think matters. Shemai had no credibility. There was no reason in the world why he should have to even get in an argument with someone that had no idea what he was talking about. And this is so important for us. When we are trying to find wisdom, you won't get it from angry people. You won't get it from crazy people. It just doesn't happen. In fact, what you want to do is, and we see later on in the chapter, there are people who are smart and qualified and are able to give you information. Those are the people you want to deal with. I, and you know, nowadays, because of the internet, everyone thinks they're an expert because they can Google. And it's like, if you want to tell me, and I had this happen with my wife having back surgery, it's like, everybody has so much advice. And I don't always say this, but I feel like it. Excuse me, thanks for the advice. Now, where did you go to medical school? Now, that's not to say that somebody who hasn't been to medical school doesn't know something. It's just if you want to play the percentages, people who care enough and know enough about the human body to actually go study it, and I'm not talking about in Guadalajara, I'm talking about like a, um, that's better than nothing, that's better than the school of Google, but um, it's like, I want to know that you're qualified before I listen to what you're telling me because the percentages are better. If I want to hear somebody's political opinion, I prefer somebody that cares enough about it to have got an education. If I want to hear a theological perspective, I prefer people who are enough into theology that they actually went and studied it. I don't need ignorant people. I don't need Shemai yelling out stuff, and I feel like I have to debate them. And David understood that, and it was really smart. Now, when it came to wise people who were capable and qualified, yeah, he, he definitely had those people on his staff. He definitely had people who listened to him. But an awful lot of our wisdom is deciding who not to listen to. Don't interact with somebody who's angry. It doesn't go well ever. And listen, if you want advice, don't take it from somebody that's never done anything, accomplished anything, knows anything in their life. Don't take it from a guy just because he saw some link that said this, and therefore now I know. 
There is more artificial intelligence. And people are artificial intelligence. To me, artificial intelligence, first and foremost, is people who think that they're intelligent without actually having to learn anything. They're just copying other people's stuff and, and reposting it, and they think that they're geniuses. That's fine. You have every right. And you know what? There are some people who aren't doctors who end up being right about certain things. But play the percentages. Go with people who actually know what they're talking about. And that's partly why David, and again, he's like, hey, maybe God is even speaking through this guy. It doesn't matter. But I'm not going to react. And this is a good lesson for us, I think. And, and David got this right. It was, it was way better that he did not get sucked into a, a fight with this guy. Yeah, he could have won. He could have killed the guy. But then what does that prove? What does that make him ultimately? What does it make you, what does it make me if we win arguments with people who have no idea what they're talking about? It's just not worth it. It's not wise. Nothing good comes out of it. We're developing our critical thinking and listening skills today on The Balanced Word. Dave Rolfe will be right back with more in just a minute. Today's message is part of our study in First and Second Samuel called Kingdom Building. These programs are available by podcast at thebalancedword.com. You can also call and request a CD copy at 949-362-7475. You might also want to request the entire Kingdom Building series, again at 949-362-7475. We'd also like to offer you Pastor Dave's Through the Bible in a Year series on a USB thumb drive for a gift of $25 or more. Go through the Bible in a year with Pastor Dave by ordering this special series today. Again, call 949-362-7475 or order online at thebalancedword.com. Your gifts help to make these shows possible on stations like this one all across the nation. Thank you for standing with us with either a one-time gift or ongoing monthly support. Donations can be made at thebalancedword.com. Have you had a chance to listen to Pastor Dave's one-minute messages? You can listen to those at thebalancedword.com and even join our mailing list so you can have them delivered to you each day. You can watch them on Instagram or Facebook too by following CC Pacific Hills. Let's return to 2 Samuel 16 for the rest of Pastor Dave's message. So now we read on in the story and we go over to Absalom's camp and it says, Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel in verse 15, came to Jerusalem and Ahithophel was with him. Now, Ahithophel's a lot different than Shemai. Ahithophel's a wise man. He has been employed as a counselor to David for years and has given him good advice. At the end of the chapter, it says that it was like, man, he gave God's advice over and over again. He had a history of that. When people listened to him, they felt like, I'm hearing from God because he had a long track record of being successful. And so Ahithophel was now working for Absalom. And if you remember, he had personal reasons as to why. But anyway, Hushai came along in verse 16. Hushai was the other guy who had been a really close counselor to David. And now he was probably in a more prominent role because, you know, uh, of the fact that Ahithophel had kind of got bugged at David and left. So now Hushai really stepped up and was giving him good advice. And if you remember, when we were in the previous chapter, Hushai came and wanted to stick with David, and instead, David sent him off and said, why don't you go back to Jerusalem, and maybe you can help over there. You can do some good. So Hushai 
David's friend, came to Absalom. And Hushai said to Absalom, verse 16, long live the king, long live the king. So Absalom said to Hushai, is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? And Hushai said to Absalom, no, but whom the Lord and this people and all the men of Israel choose, his I will be, and with him I will remain. Furthermore, whom should I serve? Should I not serve in the presence of his son? As I have served in your father's presence, so will I be in your presence. What a blessing to be able to now have two smart guys who want to help you. So in one sense, Absalom was really wise to listen to Hushai, but he's not listening critically or carefully enough. Because if you look at what Hushai actually said, he comes up first and says, long live the king, long live the king. So it's like, well, who are you referring to? Absalom really wasn't the king. David was really the king. But Absalom kind of it, it blew by him a little bit. He was a little suspicious, though, and, and was saying, wait, is your loyalty to your friend? And Hushai said, no, but whom the Lord and this people, all the men of Israel choose, his I will be, and with him I will remain. Well, you can look at that two ways. He's saying, no, I'm not following my friend. I'm following who the Lord has chosen. So from Absalom's perspective, he, he took it as, oh, good. You're saying that God has chosen me. But in reality, Hushai is being pretty clever because he's still saying, I serve God. More helpful tips to develop our critical listening during times of stress. Next time on The Balanced Word with Pastor Dave Rolfe. This program is brought to you by Pacific Hills Calvary Chapel. Wake up my soul. Wake up early in the day. Wake up my hands. And